Haxon, Witchcraft Through the Ages. You know they're out there. Women. Sometimes they're old and ugly, sometimes they're young and pretty as well. They have been corrupted, dear listener. They have not been pure of heart and have gone down a dark path. That path is laid with fire and smoke and hellfire, and it's the realm of the devil, Satan, Lucifer, however you want to call him. Or it may be something else that has made these ladies into demonic entities that ride on broomsticks and rub ointment, yes, ointment, in order to be made pure in their witch ways. Oh, devil witches, stay away! Or as the 1922 silent film Haxon presents it, it may all have been the hysteria, not of the women, but of the men in robes, the monks in power in the church, who went after 8 million men, women, and children. This is a statistic the film puts forward, by the way. I didn't make it up. And apparently there were male witches, I suppose. And there may even be a couple that are shown in the film, which I'll get to soon enough. However, what if the women weren't witches at all? Oops. So, Haxon, let's go through these ages. I should start off by noting that the first section of this film, nearly every time I watched it, felt like something of a chore. Not that a chore is necessarily a bad thing, but the film doesn't start off in a way that is necessarily exciting. Intriguing, absolutely. We see from writer-director Benjamin Christensen what amounts to 1922's equivalent of a PowerPoint slideshow, complete with him using a stick to point to things that we should see in pictures that he shows us. Of course, what is meant to be so compelling about this first section is that we're being introduced to the world of witchcraft, and how it has its roots going back millennia, to almost the dawn of the world, to almost the dawn of man, as we've always had superstitions and demons and things and entities that are out to tempt us as human beings towards evil. Not to mention we are also shown a map of the universe, at least at one time, as showing the various circles where God and others rest in these circles. Symbols, mind you, but powerful ones to people at one time. The first time I watched Haxon, this was relatively involving, but with each successive viewing, I noticed that, first, many of the details that Christensen gives us, he later on shows us anyway, in the live-action dramatized portions, such as how ointment was put on witches in order for them to get into an especially witchy state of being, primarily so they could fly around on their brooms without too much erroneous incident, or small things like how the devil had his subjects literally kiss his ass as a sign of respect. Perhaps this is where the term kiss my ass originates, who knows. There are other details as well that are shown as text. This is a silent film after all. And then, with maybe a couple of exceptions, like the images of the sort of stop-motion diorama showing the many figures in hell doing things, and I found that it was slightly redundant to have this shown to us in such a schoolroom lecture fashion, when the more compelling thing to do, to show us, as is, as is this is the visual medium of cinematic grammar, is done later on anyway. This and the final part of the film, which I'll get to also soon enough, are the parts of the film that I thought were weak. Not bad, of course, and there's things to think about as far as the information we're giving. It's just that everything else that comes after this dry intro is so much more of a delight. That is, a delight in the darkest, most harrowing sense. What we see in parts 2 through 6 are Christensen, as a filmmaker, showing us what life was like in the late Middle Ages. 
While Renaissance painters like da Vinci and Michelangelo were making triumphant images that would last centuries in art, on the dark side, there was the Inquisitions going on. While there isn't any mention of how that went down for, you know, the Jews, a great portion of Haxon is devoted to how the church dealt with people who were, shall we say, not fully Christian. But let's hold off going knee-deep into how the church is depicted in this movie for just a moment. The second part of this film introduces the audiences to what so-called witches would tend to do when left to their own devices. Make up potions and their form of magic, and using things like live frogs and snakes and giant pots, and sometimes men, yes, there are two men depicted as witches, getting a body from a graveyard to cut up for the next sort of recipe. The part is that is light, highly entertaining is when a woman comes to the witch, Karna, to ask for a potion to help in her love life. Her husband just won't give her affection, so she'll use one of the witch's potions to make her man fall head over heels for her. She imagines how this would unfold twice, and we see what she's picturing in her vision of her man, going from slobbering over hunks of meat to drinking a specially made drink for him, and him chasing her around the room, never mind, of course, that one of these potions would be made with cat feces. The first time I was seeing Haxon, I enjoyed this set piece as a bit of fun, showing what witches would do for people on the, shall we say, lighter side of things. But seeing the film over and over, I was struck by the deeper implications of this, and how it fits into the male-female worldview of this movie. In this society, as you imagine, women had no power. They were not high up in the church. They were nuns or mother superiors, best case scenario. And boy, the nuns figure out into a later episode of this film quite awesomely. And they had to serve their husbands and be good, dutiful wives, or <gasps> they might be a witch. And who could be a witch? Well, anyone, really. But in this segment, we see a woman who wants to take some agency over her life and goes to another woman to try and accomplish this. Whether she was fully successful, we don't see. And yet, it's important this scene is here, so we see what a woman might do for another in that circumstance. Of course, this is not all that Christensen shows us. Oh, sweet lord, no. This is, after all, showing us how society at that time thought devils and Satan and hell looked, and the costumes are all done up in that time period from Europe in the early 20s, so that it's rather authentic. While one can tell that the men who are in pig suits, yes, they are walking pigs that dance and guard doors and such, it's still startling. The first time I watched this movie, I also wasn't sure how to take what the director's point of view of witchcraft, and more to the point, the public's reaction was, or would be. Is the director siding with the church? Does it believe that there were witches doing things like giving into temptation and rubbing devilish ointments, or having others do it for them so they could ride into the night on broomsticks and then go dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? I thought on first glance it was rather a conservative viewpoint, like, look at these dastardly women. These times were very serious, people. This is why I'm happy that I get to do something like the Cinema Immersion Tank, since upon the second viewing, and certainly the third, I knew that this was a different beast of a film. Haxon takes a more anthropological view of how witchcraft was documented, but more important, frankly, the point of the film, how the public saw it. And who was the public? Well, the church ruled everything, and if there was even the slightest thought uh, through, the, through a person's mind that someone was a witch, it'd be time to get that woman in front of the monk council for torture and confessions, and then the, quote, ways to tell if someone was really a witch 
and subsequent burning at the stake. Ha, ah, what a nice religious tradition that was. So in other words, I think the movie's point of view is more like, see how this operated back then, and make up your own mind. In this sense, it looks at this period of time more like how Scorsese showed us criminals in Goodfellas, or the stockbrokers of Wolf of Wall Street. And this includes making a cinematic experience that, so to speak, throbs with putting us into the headspace of that time period. So when we see a nightmarish, garish, ghoulish, awful imagery involving people in devil costumes dancing about, or a devil popping up to flick his tongue, or people kissing Satan's tuchus, or so on, it's meant to be as terrifying as possible. Now to say that all of this holds up some 95 years later isn't totally true, but I was pleasantly surprised how a lot of it holds up well, and the visual effects of the period are compelling. They use some special primitive rear screen projection to show the audience how witches rode broomsticks through the night sky, and even simple things like the woman who makes a deal with the devil and gets showered with coins, only to find soon after that the deal is off and the coins go flying back through the door, it's an effective image that one knows is due to running the film backward. But who cares? It's an amazing shot. That was a small part that I found confusing, by the way. I wasn't totally clear why this woman got showered with these coins, all these viewings in, and then why they were so quickly gone back once they came. Well, the devil does what he does, right? Back to the church for a moment. Keep in mind this is not too far off from the period of time where Joan of Arc, and many shots of this film, where Christensen, using extremely well-cast male actors just for their own, so to speak, devilish and stern faces and beating and nasty eyes, reminded me of Carl Dreyer's Passion of the Joan of Arc uh, from 1928. That was a film that featured a woman being put on trial and subsequently burned, and the force and pressure seemed to come more from those faces, from that sea of male antagonism against a woman who has her own visage, and there was art there to see. In this case, the sense of what-the-fuck church is emphasized in the part of the film where a woman who, who is not even seen initially as a witch, she only simply protests somewhat when another woman is carred away, Maria the Weaver, is imprisoned, put in a torture device, and told to show how she can conjure lightning from a bowl of water. Um, how will she do that, guy? Keep in mind, this was a time and place where a particular monk might call a lady a witch because, A, she couldn't cry on his command, can't cry, ha, witch, and then not too soon after, B, if she was crying later, it would be dismissed as just some spittle on her face to make it look like it. How does one fight those kind of odds? But then remember, as we're shown in the film, this is one of the sort of picture slides that comes back intermittently throughout, that the test to show if a woman was a witch involved that wonderful pastime of tying a woman up and plopping her in the deep part of a river. And if she somehow got up to the surface, she was a witch to be, and then burned immediately. And if she drowned, well, that poor innocent girl proved herself by going to the grave. Praise Jesus! It comes to the point where, on subsequent viewings, I wondered if anyone was ever a witch, just once. This is an extremely well-researched piece of hybrid documentary and fictional storytelling. Again, I'm reminded of the kind of work Scorsese's done on his films, like A Gangs in New York is another example. And yet it's disturbing, because not so much of what its implications are for the period, but what, if anything, is still carried over to this day. Take the character of Maria the Weaver, an old woman in a cloak who asks and begs the Lady Anna for some food, 
and shelter. She obliges her, and the old woman scarfs down food in an almost mechanical, disgusting manner. But immediately, from the look of the young woman's face, there sure is a heck of a lot of terror, too much, but hey, it's a silent film, the persecution is there. She's a witch, take her away. And from here, she is stripped uh, to other clothes, put in front of the council of monks, and they torture her just enough to get some confessions, and she talks after not much. It becomes the pinnacle of the film as far as imagery goes. As a side note, I did as a test uh, during one of my viewings watching the film with the music of Black Sabbath's self-titled debut album in place of the actual score of redone classical compositions. And it fits so splendidly that even now, uh, thinking of the film, I, I do it more in relation to Black Sabbath songs than even the stock But is what we're seeing real, quote-unquote? Well, yes and no. Do you believe in witches and the devil and how the power of evil can take over women and men and children? Then you may think that it's a good thing these witches got their just desserts. Do you not believe it? And that the rampant power of persuasion and, of course, ultimately rampant fear that dominated these minds of the men of the church? Then you may find the movie quite different. I bought into things at different times, and it's a testament to the power of Christensen's filmmaking that, rough as some of it is, again, 1921, it makes an impact to the point where I even wondered, god damn, maybe the witches did do some of this and that. Which brings me to the final section of the film, where the director brings us to modern times. This is an interesting part, but for me it lost some of the effectiveness of what is cer of cer centrally looking at the period of witchcraft that extended itself outside of Europe to New England in the 17th century. I assume this is meant to depict European witchcraft, not so much the Puritans, by going into how things have <gasps> changed since 1488. No shit. Some of my problem with this section is more to do with structure. We get a continuous narrative that starts with showing Maria the Weaver, the girl Anna, and all the people of the church who get into into it with seeing her confessions and then how it transfers over to other people being accused of witchcraft basically being ratted out since out of confessions came more names i.e remember the crucible but it feels like a complete arc takes place where we see how easily women could fall in this world whether it was a housewife or a gaggle of nuns uh, there's a particularly heartbreaking moment when a nun who believes she's been corrupted by the forces of evil comes to the monks and practically demands to be burned at the stake that I can't get out of my head. When the movie suddenly jumps ahead to modern times, 1921, remember, it's more like a short film has been tacked on than having a continuous flow from the previous parts. Thematically, it makes sense, but emotionally it feels off somehow, close to jarring as it goes from 1400s, 1500s to early 20th century dress and decorum and look of the people, and by this point, some of the points in the movie, the movie is making about women's society becomes repetitive. It's not that these scenes come off poorly as far as direction, but it feels odd to suddenly come back into a, quote, nowadays things are different tone, when in reality, this period of time now seems dated in 2016. If you look up what hysteria meant in that period of time, you'll understand why. That word comes up multiple times in this section. 
The most effective portion of this seventh part is when the director gives us a strange anecdote in the midst of his lecturing. The actress playing Maria the Weaver during a break in filming said out loud, The devil is real. I have seen him. In following up on this, the director asked for her diary and shows some images. This is striking, daring, and suddenly the movie takes on a personal connotation. Nevertheless, Haxon largely uses the language of silent filmmaking, which has to rely on giant gestures and acting, but can be subtle and evocative and deeply moving and awfully troubling in the best possible ways, to the utmost use. Christensen shows us what it was like, then, to be living in a society where people, almost all people, believed that witches were real, and that people cast spells, and that the devil was right there. That could be up to interpretation today, and what sticks out after seeing this in the tank for five times. Things like the shots of the arms and legs and feet in those displays of torture devices, you almost feel like they're about to torture a subject right there, the way they're planted in place. One of them would pop up in the movie of Stephen King's Misery uh, to do permanent damage to ankles later on. And how ex extraordinarily desperate the woman is who is mentally tortured with the promise that she can go free if she shows lightning from water. It's a harrowing example of how to get you transfixed by the dark side of human nature. Now just a few odds and ends. 1. Marin Penderson, who plays Maria the Weaver, is so effective, seemingly coming right out of the 15th century in a time machine into a silent film, and it comes down to both body language and her face. When she tussles around with the men trying to take off her clothes, witches at the time had to go into other attire because of their supposed witch dust that would get on other people. You believe she could take down these men. And when she cringes and recoils as a priest brings forward some sacred parchment to torture the woman, she fully believes that it's harming her, so in short, we do. And yet there's a vulnerability to her performance that makes her kind of endearing. Yes, even as she is describing giving birth to Satan's children, who pop up almost comically like her fully formed aliens. I loved her so much that she made watching the film so many times a delight. 2. At one point the devil shows him itself to be a turtle, or some kind of thing that crawling up a woman in bed, and it's... It'd almost be cute if it wasn't satanic. 3. Excellent use of dissolves and suppositions, like when a woman leaves her body. Four, there's a little weird goat hybrid chicken creature that comes through a door at one point, and I believe this is fully stop motion at a time when I imagine this is, you know, again, before the Lost World, and it's an extraordinary image. I want one of those goat chicken monsters in my home damn it and finally four if you put this on on halloween i suspect there may be some dire consequences and make sure you crank up black sabbath black sabbath from the album black sabbath of course that was haxon if you have any thoughts if you've seen this movie and uh think it's uh as compelling and different as I did, uh, send us an email uh, to wagesofcinema at gmail.com.